Hi, and welcome to episode two of the Saxophone Academy podcast. I'm Dr. Wally Wallace, and on this week's episode, I chat with my co-host, Dr. Susan Fancher, about the concept of practicing less. We review a CD of classical saxophonist Stephen Page, and we talk about freelancing and being a working musician, and we answer some of your questions. I want to give a huge thanks to our sponsor this week, Ephany Music. Ephany is a boutique publisher of living composers for saxophone. They've got an awesome catalog of saxophone music for solo saxophone, saxophone electronics, and a lot of really cool saxophone quartets, including a bunch of transcriptions of Renaissance music for saxophone quartet, which you should definitely check out. So you can find them on the web at ephanymusic.com, and I'll be sure to put a link in the show notes. But so he did a, a, a faculty recital a couple weeks ago at Duke, and we played a couple of pieces for alto saxophone and cello. Nice. And then he did a booking for a repeat performance of the entire program last night at St. Mary's School in Raleigh, and it was a lot of fun. And yeah, I got home late, <laughs> and cat woke saxophone. me up early, oh. so <laughs> no, it's all good. But um, one of the pieces on the program was this piece by Mark. Ingebretson called Luminous. And that guy a, again? That guy again. Uh. Did a version of it for alto saxophone and cello. And you know, you need a computer with Max MSP and this progla- program called Mixler. And you know, a little air turn pedal and yeah. everything. Tech was working great after I finally got the computer online. One of the girls at the school helped me. I don't know her name, otherwise I would thank her. Um, and then right when we were ready to play the piece, the Air turn pedal lost its connection with the computer. No, air turn, that's the Bluetooth pedal that... Yeah, exactly. And so there I am on stage in front of, you know, 200 plus people. And so um, I called Mark. I called Mark and I and he answered the phone because he knew I was going to be yeah. doing this performance. He couldn't make it to the performance. So he answered the phone and I said to the audience, hey, I've got Mark Engerbretson here on the phone. Why don't you say hello? And the whole audience said, hello. Oh, <laughs> and he's wondering, your husband and, is now wondering what's oh, going oh, on? No, he knows. He okay. knows something's wrong if I'm calling him from the <laughs> stage. I said, hi, I'm on stage at St. Mary's yeah. and the air turn has lost connection with the oh, computer. Man. He's like, oh no, because <laughs> he knows he's dead meat. <laughs> If I call my wife during a performance, she's going to say, you better be bleeding or hang up. I don't, I don't care. <laughs> but anyway, it worked. So everything was fine. Yeah, it was a good concert. It was great. Yeah, had a good time. The piece worked great after it got working. And the audience was very patient. And we had a good time. So that is good. good. Yeah. The technical, yeah, with modern saxophone music. Uh, I didn't pray hard enough to the technology gods. Yeah. yeah. Shame. The ghost of Steve Jobs. Yeah, that. So we're in the second month of teaching now. Have you killed any students yet? No. No, <laughs> you thought about it. There was I did. A, there I was, was like, a, wait a minute. No, Jack, no, no. Uh, Larry, Ginny. No, they're all still breathing. Yeah, they're all still breathing. Yeah, well, then it's good. It's, it's still it's early, good. so we'll, we'll keep a tally there. Yeah, if they don't start practicing in the next couple of weeks, all bets are off. Yeah. <laughs> Just kidding. So uh, January, there was yeah. there's saxophone news, and I'm going to get your take. I haven't talked about this in advance with you. So we had the, the NAM, not we, I wasn't there. I couldn't be bothered. Uh, the NAM <laughs> conference, I think it's the National Association of Music Merchants. Uh, the NAM conference where all the companies get together and show their new products. Uh, you've seen nothing of this. You're giving me a very blank stare. Yeah, you know. Okay. <laughs> I'm I, a saxophone you know, player. I keep up with industry news. <laughs> well, to good see, for you. Know, you. What coming out. And there's a bunch of micro-brand reads coming out, which oh. I, 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 don't, I don't understand well, the appeal. it's worth trying. Is it? Uh, why not? I don't know. I feel like gasoline it works in my car it makes the car go and i don't need to shop for like artisan gasoline 
It's true. We don't do that, like, do we? The big brands, the big two, they make fine reads. They're they consistent. Do. And yeah. at this point, so I saw the, the industry news. There's, I think, two or three micro brand reads announced. And I just, wow. I can't get excited about that. It'd be okay to try. I mean, I'm not going to switch. I play yeah. Van Dorn reeds and I've always played Van Dorn reeds and I'm not going to switch. I've got some students playing those plastic reeds. What yeah. is it? Legere or whatever they're called. They're getting good. I guess they sound okay. They come in and they play and they sound fine. And then they say, is it okay that I'm playing on this plastic reed? And I said, well, I guess so, since I didn't notice. Oh, the, <laughs> yeah. So, so the micro brand reeds coming out, but here, here's the big news. Okay. Well, uh, also, a product I, I endorse uh, won a bunch of awards because they're fantastic, but um, I'll talk about that later. Sure. But uh, Van Doren, yes. they have the MO ligature. Do you use that ligature? The MO ligature, yeah. I sure so, do, so yeah. The, the big exciting news, are you sitting down? I am. You're sitting down. Okay, I'm you. sitting down. No, I'm they're ready. making the MO ligature in pink gold. Pink gold? Aw. That was the big news. I'm, I was a little... Well, that's kind of fun. Is it? I guess. I guess. I mean, I'm going to, so I, I, have the, I have the lacquer. Why? Yeah. I have the, uh, not lacquer, I have the silver. I have yeah. the gold plated. So I'm throwing all those in the trash. And I'm, because I just can't wait for the pink gold. Well, you should keep those. Yeah. Yeah. Sell them on I mean, eBay. But obviously, I'm <laughs> making room in my ligature basket or drawer. Where do you Yeah. Think? Yeah, yeah. For Mine the, are in the pink. a drawer. I guess I'm going to have to get one of those. Yeah. Got to try it. I mean, is it is it supposed to respond better or anything like that? Or it's just well, it's pink. Cute. So it's obviously, pink. Okay. it's pink. Gold. Okay, I got it. I mean, so, so obviously, for... obviously, we've delved into the the response frequencies of of pink gold versus regular gold. So okay, um, <laughs> I'm Goodness. assuming. Yeah, I was. Well, you know, I was I'm... hoping for something really, you know, like a new saxophone flotation device or something. But <laughs> but we'll take pink gold as the big is the big news. Uh, Dario's <laughs> big news, I think, was a clarinet mouthpiece. But well, okay. And then there's a bunch of micro brand reads. But do you remember Glotan reads back in the? Oh my gosh, yeah. So where I went Jeez, to school, which yeah. will remain nameless, um, <laughs> there was this big trend where the professor and a bunch of the students, who were great players in off teaching in universities now, were, oh, you have to use Glotan reads. They're the only read and the right response and blah blah blah. And they got hooked on these things. Yeah. And then of course we know Glotan went. Yeah. Out of business. Yeah. And these lovely colleagues of mine would then go to eBay and start like just stocking up on all the back. And, and wow. when that ran out, I was just like, Oh man, I, I don't ever want to delve into like micro brand reads. Yeah. Cause once again, I don't want artisan Tylenol. I don't want artisan gasoline. I just want something that I can find easily and works, but yeah, are you going to experiment with it? Have you experimented with any like small brand reads or, well, you're I, a Van Doren artist. So if you yeah. did, you'd have to do it in secret. Well, they probably wouldn't mind if I tried other stuff as long as, <laughs> Ego, I gave them some one, feedback. We have a defector. <laughs> and I, well, I would tell them if I found yeah. something, hey, you should make a read like this because this is <laughs> awesome. But, but no, and usually what happens if I try some other reads um, for a, a producer, sometimes at the, the saxophone conference, yeah. somebody will say, hey, you know, try these reads and give me some feedback. And my feedback is usually, well, can you make them play more like a Van Doren blue box? That would be great. Right. Because that's what I'm used to. And, you know, I've been playing on these reeds a long time. Yeah. I'm totally cool with people playing on whatever they want to play on. But, you know, Van Doren's just making great reeds. Those flow packs, however, even though I, I hate the extra trash and what it's yeah. what it means for the environment, those are so good for the reeds. The reeds play so much better. So the flow packs, those little individually wrapped... Yeah, I mean, I hate the yeah. extra garbage, but oh my goodness, the reeds play so much better. 
yeah, I will say, like, I, I imagine, like, most of us, I break in 10 reads at a time. Yep. And so there's this, hi, welcome to America. Hi, welcome to America. Hi, welcome to America. Every yeah. time you open a read, and then I get this pilot drag. But yeah. it's the price we pay. I mean, I, I like, throw away a lot fewer reads yeah. now that they have the flow pack. Oh, that's so true. Okay, so maybe In it's, that sense, yeah. you know, maybe it saves a little bit. The other ones, they would sit, who knows how long, in a yeah, music true. store box, right? And then they were completely dried out. Yeah. Brown by the time you got them sometimes. And, you know, look, we like the environment. I like dolphins, but I like my tone better. Is, <laughs> that's my motto. So, Maybe we could save those plastic thingies and send them back to Van Doren. Maybe they could reuse them. I think, yeah, we'll look into that okay. for the environment. And also put go. a link in the show notes to some of these new reads if someone wants to give it a why try. Why not try? I mean, yeah. Because then you love it and then go out of business. That's why not try. Well, yeah, that's true. Yeah. Well, yeah, don't Never, get too hooked. Don't right? love unless it's a sure thing. I think that's good relationship Oh, geez, Wally. Yeah. <laughs> so hopefully we'll have more industry news coming up at a NAM, and, and we can talk about some of the new products coming up as we get them in and can test them. Yeah. But we, we have that. studio strategy segment this week, and I brought oh. in a studio strategy. Okay, uh, Wally. For better practicing, better performing, um, guaranteed more romantic partners. Okay. And generate, <laughs> okay, maybe over-promising. <laughs> but there's a concept I want to talk about with you that was um, I first read about in a book a million years ago. And it's the idea of practicing less. Ah. And it sounds really attractive. It sounds like clickbait. You know, one funny trick your doctor doesn't want you to know right. about to lose 30 pounds. Cut yeah. off your leg. Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah, but it's the idea <laughs> of... exercise more. Yes, and I've heard about this. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> this, this trick from um, Bill Evans, not a trick, but a, when someone asked him, what are you practicing? He said, not much. And he didn't mean not much time. He meant he's practicing not much material. He's practicing less material. Yeah. So the strategy I've been thinking about this week and, and talking to my students about, and I want you to get your take on this, is when we go into the practice room sometimes, and I used to be guilty of this, I would practice, I'd plot out my practice, the first movement of this piece, this tune or these tunes, these jazz standards. And I would find myself, an hour would go by, and things would be marginally better, but I would be practicing this kind of broad focus and the idea is to take something smaller, have a highlight focus of each practice session, where maybe it's those two measures in the first movement of the Crescent Sonata. You know, you know the ones, the falling thirds. I do. Yeah. Yep. Or the second <laughs> half of the bridge of all the things you are, where it's a uh, two five in an awkward key. Whereas, uh, you know, we play these pieces and then you get to that, those falling thirds, or you get to this second half of the bridge of this tune, and you just see people crash and burn. Right. And I think it's because of lack of focus. So what I've been thinking about is each practice session, having a highlight, having a something, a small pocket where you practice very little material, not time, and really focusing and digging in on that. And I've found some big gains in my own life and my students in working on that in these past couple of weeks. So when you set up your practice, how do you think about it? Do you have like an entire movement on the docket or do you, will you pick out little, little mini chunks to work on? Well, once I've played through the pieces a few times, you know, you start to identify those passages that you know are going to be the the sticky ones. Yeah. And I try really hard to just zoom in on those and, and focus on those because it's good to go through and play the lyrical stuff and work on your tone and your tuning and your vibrato and your phrasing, obviously. Yeah. But you don't need to do that every practice session. So, or at least I hope you don't, yeah, I don't yeah. think you do No, And, but you need to go and work on those, those technical things. And you know, there's the strategy of playing slowly, of course, what? and then in rhythms or yeah. just the notes, just da, da, dee, da, you know, or whatever the notes are that <laughs> you have to do really fast. Um, just play them really slowly and over and over. Um, 
I think some people have a longer attention span to keep <laughs> focusing on like three or four beats at a time right, right. Than, than I do. Um, I have to move on, but I try to just stay there and try to play it, you know, slowly and in, in, in as many ways as I can try to play a little bit faster. If I bomb, go back, play it slowly a little yeah. bit and then leave it. Cause you'd be surprised how much our brains do if we just get out of their way a little bit. Yeah. And so sometimes you can practice and you think, well, I'll just have to keep at it. Obviously that's not better today, but you know, I did my work and then you come back a day or two later and sometimes it's better. So yeah. <laughs> that can work and then move on to the next hard part and work on that. And it's okay if you want to play through some stuff because it's exhausting to, to keep pounding on those small passages. But that's kind of how I work. I think some people have a longer attention span. I'm really stubborn. Do. It's not an attention span. I just, I just get mad. So if those two ah, measures aren't going well, that's well, good. Then I'll, put on the, I'll put the metronome on 40 and like, all right, you son of a We're going to yeah. get this done. Well, and if it's something you're going to have to play in yeah. front of people, then you are going to do what you have to do. There right. was somebody had a... Um, a little saying, a friend in, in Vienna was, don't practice so you won't make a mistake, practice so you can't make a mistake. Yeah. And, and I just told a student the other day, you know, if you start learning a passage really, really slowly, and if you never, ever play a wrong note, yeah. you won't ever play a wrong note. Of course, we all make mistakes when we're practicing because we try to go a little too fast. And yeah. but if you never, if you, but if you practice never, slowly enough, yeah, if you never make a mistake, you're never going to make a well, mistake. I also think that trains your, sense? yeah, <laughs> it, it trains your subconscious mind. If you're confident with it, like I'm confident I can go pick up that soda can yeah. because I know I can do it. And I'm, yeah. but I think if we, if we know we can do it because we've trained our subconscious mind to hear it correctly again and again and again, that confidence begets confidence. And then we, we have a better chance of getting it, I think. Absolutely, and that hearing it is really important. So if you play things slowly, then your ear is picking up on the intervals and the notes, and most of us have pretty good ears if we're in music and working in music. You'd be surprised how much you're actually playing by ear and not reading right. if you've actually played it slow enough that you can hear it. I do. Well, my vision is terrible, so I actually kind of do that. I play it through really slowly and then get it under my fingers, and then I look away. I, just, I had, Great. had yeah. to get a, a waiver through the Surgeon General's office to get into the <laughs> Army. I'm not kidding. Are you serious? Yeah, yeah. The Surgeon oh, General's no. office to sign yeah. off like, well, he's going to be a saxophonist in the Army. So, okay, we'll let him in. <laughs> but like, yeah. The, Wait a minute. It doesn't matter that you can't see well because you're only going to be reading music. I, okay, that makes right. sense. Yeah. And like when we went to the <laughs> rifle range, you know, they point the rifles oh, away from people. It was fine. <laughs> and those rifles shot themselves, essentially. It was Yikes. really easy. Yeah. <laughs> so practicing. So I've started, and I want to give a, a tip to any listeners out there. Those problem areas that you saw. So you play through, you get a feel for the lay of the land. Yeah. You look at the chord changes, like, okay, this is awkward. Or you look at the sonata, like, all right, these 30-second notes aren't probably going to fix themselves. <laughs> and then schedule it. Um, so now I'm starting to taking those two measures, and instead of just, you know, maybe highlighting or whatever, I'll plan out, okay, Monday, the first session, I'm going to spend, you know, 30 minutes on that. And I used to get really cool. stressed because, you know, you have to go into lessons and have to play for, you know, X number of movements for the professor or your teacher. That's true. Um, but I think carving out small pockets. And I remember, I won't say the name, but a very prominent classical saxophonist who I used to sit outside their practice room. Um, and they won, I think, second place in Dinant, the international. This is a very good saxophonist. Yeah. And I remember asking them when they were going to the practice room, hey, what are you working on? And, and he said... Oh, the low B. I'm like, what? Uh, <laughs> and it was... Dazen uh, Clo. The Dazen yeah. was the compulsory... I knew exactly what you yeah, meant, Yeah, it was you know? the compulsory work for How one of the rounds. Yep. And this saxophonist, who now has a very good job at a very Midwestern university, had a practice session mapped out where 
I'm going to work on low I'm B. I'm going to learn how to play a soft low B at the beginning yeah. of a phrase without funking it. Yeah, yep. and, it, and it worked. Now, this was not my favorite drinking partner. Um, <laughs> But, well, but there was this, a good reason there was this incredible that. consistency, and I was always impressed by his ability to take this micro thing oh, yeah. and focus a practice session. Wow. Now, that might be a little bit much for me, the low B. I would add in the, the E as well. <laughs> Jeez, yeah. I think, that's the, I think that's the next note. I haven't played yeah. Yeah, the classical literature in a while. but so Yeah, that's a good one to put on just an etude list for everybody. If you can do that, then you can play your low, your low notes. That's right. That's what, oh, one of the reasons I start every session with a low B flat. You know, because yeah. if I start there, I can only go up. That was a <laughs> bad. Ch- I just thought at the top of my head, that's a really bad joke. That was great. I'm a father of two. <laughs> so next week, Sue's going to bring in the most world-changing practice strategy habit okay. you can ever imagine. I got She's, it. And it's going to be life-changing. And if you don't, you'll send hate mail, and I'll send her. Okay. Her address. We'll hit that next awesome. week. That's just great, Wally. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it is going to be. I'm sorry to say, it's probably going to be a little bit like the weight loss thing. It's like. Oh, a new a new strategy for losing weight. This is going to be revolutionary, yeah. and it's like eat healthier and exercise. Oh man, again, really? Well, I'm still <laughs> holding out hope that they had that wrong. <laughs> yeah. So we've both um, checked out. Well, we're making a kind of not a New Year's resolutions because we don't necessarily believe them, but wow. to start keeping a little bit more abreast of recordings coming out because we're both busy. We got our teaching, we got our gigs, we got our projects, we got families. So there's a lot of recordings coming out. But this week we there. both kind of made a commitment to check out a new CD. Yes. And what have we been listening to? We have been listening to a release by Stephen Page and Friends. I guess we can say at this point. Friends. Uh, Is that the name of his quiz quartet? (laughs) Stephen Page and Friends. Well, Zizek's saxophone quartet. And the thing I was going to look up that I forgot to look up, Wally, maybe you did, was the name of the wonderful pianist. I don't have that on my cheat sheet here. I, I know, I know. We always do that, right? We are terrible people. But anyway, it's the saxophone music of Florent Schmidt. Oh, yeah. So what do we know about Schmidt? We'll add that in post. The, 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 yeah, we'll just yeah. plug that in. We're not going to do yeah, it. Yeah, well, you I know, bothered, I remember taking lessons with Fred Hemke, and you would go into a lesson, you're, you're prepared to play this new piece that you're working on, and the first thing he would do is ask, okay, what do you know about this composer? And you'd go, oh, man. Yeah. He wrote this piece. Yeah, and yeah. that was back before the internet, so you actually would have oh, had to go to the library, library and look them up in a book. But, I mean, it wouldn't have been that hard if you're on campus all yeah, the time. Yeah. But it, oh, I was so excited that I was prepared to play the piece. I'd be like, uh, wind totally out of my sails. It's like, oh, I just I make something up. Anything. Because before the internet, you could just make it up. And if they said it's wrong, I was like, <laughs> no. well, I read a different reference, okay? Yeah, right. Yeah, so yeah you, that's it. So it's, um, have you played some Schmidt before? I have played the Legend, yeah. and I've played at that Quatuor. I've never, I don't think I've ever performed that Red piece. Red Clay hasn't? Um, no, we've never played that piece, but some college groups, you know, played some of it. I don't think, I don't remember ever actually performing the piece. Maybe I did, and I just don't remember. Yeah. But it's a really hard piece. Full disclaimer, they didn't make it sound hard, necessarily. I know. So what did you, what did you think of the That's re- what I was blown away with. This yeah. was Isaac's recording, and this is a live recording. Yeah. So it's really awesome. It's very light. It's delicate. It's not, you know, it doesn't have that heavy articulation that saxophones are so good at. Yeah. And the balance is spectacular. Everybody sounds great. I was really impressed. That's yeah. a hard piece. That piece, I won't tell the, the personal story about that piece, but that, that piece has been known to wreck saxophone quartets, trying to coordinate <laughs> some of those nasty <laughs> passages. It's ruined relationships. Yeah. Cost tendinitis. Totally. Yeah. Well, yeah, for sure. That. Depression. But yeah. they, they play it beautifully. So that's, you know, Stacey Wilson. Kudos to them. Yeah. yeah. Stephen Page, Matt Evans, and Dana Boyd. There's a moment in the Fantastic. second movement where the melody is traded between uh, soprano oh and alto. Gosh. And it's that, 
these are two people that play a lot together and really yeah. communicate. They get each other. So yeah, I was really impressed. I uh, uh, it's I liked the music and I thought the playing was exceptional. Yeah, and the solo works. I, the, yeah, they're Stevens beautiful. Is, the Legend is it's a yeah. gorgeous playing. There's some interpretive things that are, thank goodness, different from how I would do it. And I that's one of the things I harp on with my students. Just because you heard three recordings and they did it like that doesn't mean you have to do it like that. Right. Uh, it's okay if we don't all play everything the same. <laughs> Right, and I, I loved it. I loved great interpretation. the form and everything. Yeah. yeah, and I will say one of the other reasons I think this was, um, I'm glad as a recording we checked out, is the audio quality is oh, it's great, really pleasant to listen to. Um, and I had a little bit of a cheat. Um, I'm a friendly acquaintance of Steve, and I know him. We and saxophonists are yeah, in the same yeah. circles. I don't know him that well. He seems like a pleasant fellow. A little <laughs> tall, for my opinion. He's tall. I yeah. mean, there's like there's tall, and then there's rubbing your face in it tall, <laughs> and it's like. You know, you're 6'2", so. that's fine. Don't go yeah. past that, is my feeling. And he's, I think, reached that, like, a little obnoxious tall. But so that he's looking down on everybody all yeah, the time? Yeah, and I'm just like, Stephen, grab a stool. I get it. I get it. You're tall. No, but he seems like a, a pleasant a guy. Really but nice I, guy. So I saw a picture of him uh, that he posted during the recording session, and it was in the hall, and I could see he had this, I think I recognized the ribbon mic he used. Ah. And it really made for this. It's just a natural, beautiful. It's a beautiful sound. Yeah. 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 No, it sounds great. Of course, you know, these days, what are we listening on? We're listening on our phone. We're listening on our computer. I I have to confess, I didn't hook it up to drum roll. I actually own a stereo with good speakers, but I. What's a stereo? I know. Right. So I didn't hook it up to that. So I don't know how it sounds in, you know, hi-fi. In the, I'm from the olden days where you actually went out and bought a stereo and you considered the quality of the speakers and the amplifiers. Speakers? I know. They didn't right? just come in your laptop? No. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I actually did listen on. Uh, I'm looking now. You have I, some I was going to make fun of you for doing. being old school, but like, we're sitting across from my hi fi, yeah, as we used go. to call it back ha. in the day. We yeah. used to call it hi fi, yeah. Yeah. And it, I, I really enjoy listening to that, sitting in between nice. two good stereo yeah. speakers. It's a great recording. The playing is great. Yeah. And uh, I think we can recommend that. Yeah, go out and get it. It's on, I mean, Spotify, it's on iTunes, yeah. everything. And it's uh, the Songe, is that how you say that? Songe de Copilius, is that how you say that other piece? Oh, I don't speak Spanish. So, <laughs> you're silly. So, <laughs> so I have a copy of that in my library. I've never yeah. played it. Um, I was considering playing it on B-flat soprano. Of course, th- um, Stephen's playing it on tenor. It sounds gorgeous. It's one of those pieces that I think um, takes a lot of musical maturity to pull off. Yeah. It's not technically difficult, so I always think, oh, that's something my students could play, but then they can't really play play it because it's it's really difficult musically, right. even though it's not difficult technically. Does that make sense? It, no, absolutely. Yeah. I think the William Grant still romance is like that, too. Oh, I love that piece. Yeah, yeah it's yeah. a gorgeous piece. Yeah. Yeah. So we will re- link to this recording in the show notes. Let's do it. And uh, and also, if we can find the, the sheet music to uh, the stuff, we'll link that if someone wants to grab one of these pieces and oh, play yeah. if they're feeling brave. But oh, that's yeah, a good idea. Highly yeah. recommended. So we're going to, in the coming weeks, take a look at some of these recordings. We got. We say it's a new recording. I think it was middle of last year it was released. That's but new. It's newish to us. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and if somebody knows of a new one, they want to send in a recommendation yeah, yeah, yeah. for us to check out. That's cool. Yeah, we'll definitely yeah. check that out. Hit us up on social media or... Um, you can email me, Wally, at gatecitysax.com, and I'll forward it to Sue. You don't get her email. She's too important. Oh, whatever. Yeah. Or look her up <laughs> You a, can as just well. Google me, yeah, yeah. and it's going to be right there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And in the coming weeks, we also I'm going to force you to listen to some um, some jazz music. I love some it. Some of the jazz music. Yay. So we'll be recur- uh, reviewing some of those new jazz CDs coming out as well. Very cool. With the swing and the heathens, and it'll be good. Um, 
Talk a little bit about the, the new segment we're going to have recurring weekly, The Working Pro. The Working That's a working pro. title. Or Freelance Nirvana or <laughs> Boba Fett with Goodness. a saxophone, as I like to think of it. Okay. Um, <laughs> he's, he's my ideal freelancer. How, how much coffee did you have today? I've, had a, I've had a lot. My students this is are, awesome. you know, they're a good class, but I got to so keep creative with this. this engaged. <laughs> so, the working pro segment, and you have uh, an idea that you wanted to, to bring up this week, and I think it's something we need to talk about. Well, you know, we started brainstorming topics that we could talk about. You know, let's do a show on being a freelancer, and the list was so long with each oh, yeah. thing we talked about being an entire. It's, Three shows. <laughs> yeah, exactly. At least. So we yeah. thought, well, let's just start somewhere. So I think we were going to talk a little bit today about collaborating and, yeah. and ensembles and things like that. And, and you've got a lot of cool experience. Holy with cow! This. That that in and of itself, you know, we could spend a yeah. day. Well, I want to get your take on this because let me brag on you for a second. You okay. played in the Rolling Phones saxophone quartet. Uh, you play in the Zandamani Mani uh, duo because I will never learn how to <laughs> pronounce her name right. Yes, and with Anara Zandman, the world's her, greatest pianist. Well, we made, I made fun of her name last week, and then I saw her in the hallway <laughs> two days later, and I felt terrible because she's so nice to me. Um, she's the best. You play the Red Clay Quartet. Yep. You play the Women's Wind Ensemble. Yep. And so you are in a lot of ensembles, and they yes. have been for a long time. What is your some of your philosophy of how you look for, how do you pick your collaborators, and what do you look for? You know, it's so different. I was thinking about this this week, and it's so different depending on the group. So you start out in college. Yeah. Or even in high school, in high school, you play in a group that your teacher put together, yeah. probably. And then in college, you play in a group that probably your teacher put together or you put together with other people whose playing you liked or who you liked as people. Yeah. And then you get out of school and you're like, hmm, how am I going to play in groups now? Because I don't have this organized school yes. environment yeah. around me. And so it's a little trickier. I played in a group... Um, with some people who had recently graduated from Northwestern for a while when I was still living around that area. And then I got this really lucky opportunity to play in the Rolling Phones saxophone quartet. I heard they were looking for a soprano player, sent in an audition tape, and yes, it was a cassette. <laughs> and, you know, and I sent it by mail, and they replied by mail, letting me know that, yeah, come on over. And so that was just um, uh, meeting somebody through friends yeah. and hearing that this was an opportunity and then just, you know, taking a leap of faith. But, you know, generally speaking, you 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 get together in a group with people around you, you know, so usually in the same town now with saxophone quartets, a lot of times we end up living in right. various far-flung places. We're very lucky with Red Clay that we all live in the same town. So how that came about Some was, of you in the same house, even. Yes, exactly. Yeah. So when we, when when my husband, Mark Engerbretson, got the composition position at UNCG, Steve Stusak, who's right. saxophone faculty, contacted him and said, hey, would you and Sue like to have a quartet together with me and this other awesome saxophonist in town, Bob Fobb? Yeah. And so we got together... Um, for a weekend in October, oh gosh, 2003. That long ago? Yeah, 2003. I think it was October. We rented a house in the mountains and we got together for a weekend, brought our families along and sat Aww. together playing and there was not going to be any any obligation. We were just going to see how it was and it was just great from the first hour. It was, wow, well, this is really special. That's a commitment because it's kind of like a blind date, but you're in a yeah. cabin. You're stuck in a cabin exactly. if you don't like, well, that was horrible. For a whole weekend, yeah, but it you all worked out. S'mores. And we're still together, so that's how that worked. Yeah. And the Women's Wind Ensemble, Kelly Burke, was really the person who put that together. So it's it's UNCG 
faculty wind players and then she reached out to me and asked me if I wanted to play but I know Kelly through the years living here and have yeah. you know played in the orchestra sometimes when she's been there and so it's just you know meeting people and putting a group together Mark and I had a group in Chicago that was called Melomania and we thought it'd be fun to have two saxophones I'm giving away my idea here two saxophones <laughs> a cello um, percussion and piano so it's sort of a takeoff on a jazz combo setup oh, yeah. but it was for contemporary music okay and we put it together with some some people in the area whose playing we really admired and we liked them as people and it was really fun for a while but then we moved to buffalo and that sort of ended that yeah. group so leaving is if we had stayed in chicago i think that would have really been a thing yeah well you've got yeah. a good track record of keeping groups together pretty good what yeah. advice do you have for someone who's starting a group or has a group on the rocks they're in chamber counseling um yeah what what advice do you have to keep a group healthy happy and, and together what do you think has worked for you over the years that is the not, million dollar not being question. A well, yeah, you got to be nice to your colleagues and respectful. So appreciate what they what they play yeah. and how well they play. And and uh, I think if a if you don't have mutual respect for each other's playing in a group, I think it's probably not going to work out. Yeah, it's kind of like in a relationship too. If you know, if you don't think well of your partner, it's just probably not going to work out. Yeah. Well, or at this point, yeah, I, I would cost my wife so much an alimony she can't leave me. <laughs> Because I'm a saxophone, she would have to pay, you know. I don't, so, but uh, most relationships, I take your point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely. So, yeah, <laughs> respecting the other players. What about um, the uh, someone who's graduating or getting ready to graduate? And as you know, when you, gr- when you leave the university, it feels lonely. Yeah, it really what, does. That was the hardest time and the driest time in terms yeah. of, of ensemble playing, yeah. So how do you recommend, so someone's just graduated, they moved to a new city, maybe they're feeling lonely. Um, yeah, put together a saxophone quartet. So reaching and, out and yeah, try to you know put the word out and talk around. I have some some former students who are living out in Seattle. Of course, Seattle. Okay, it's a big city. If you're in a small town, it's going to be tough. But if you're yeah. in a relatively urban area where there are a lot of people around, you're going to find people. You can reach out to the local university and see if you can talk to the saxophone teacher. Yeah. Figure out who graduated recently, who's still around, who might be interested, yeah. and. Um, here's who I studied with, here's the music I've played and just, you know, sit down together, but maybe start out with, Hey, let's sit down together as a group and see how it goes. Yeah, like we did. You no, book the gigs. Yeah, yeah. Don't book the gigs. <laughs> yeah. Don't have the recording, you know, s- session lined up. Yeah. Like, oh, I hate these people. And just yeah. see how it is and try to be honest, but kind yeah. to each other, you know, and sometimes it's okay if the playing levels don't match exactly, but it's usually better if you're pretty close to on the same page, I think. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's really important because it'll get frustrating over time if you feel like you're having to wait for somebody to catch up all the right. time. And you yeah. got to be honest about that and not get mad at them if they're doing the best they can. There's, you know? a, lot, and there's a lot of ways to phrase that. And I think communication, yeah. the groups that I've had where I just couldn't bail fast enough, it was someone that had a strong opinion and could just not voice it in a respectful way. Ah, uh, right. Um, you know, there's other ways to say, I don't like yeah. the way you're playing that other than you sound, you know. Well, it's usually you're sharp. No, you're flat. You're early. No, you're late. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm using a different tuning system, Sue. Okay. You've just not yeah, heard of it. But your tuning system is bad. Yeah. Yeah. There's a communication, that respectful communication. Yeah. And um, yeah, I think you could read the one minute manager. Um, Kenneth Blanchard is a good uh, way to, you know, we do the compliment sandwich. Jerry, you're holding the saxophone correctly. And your next strap has not popped off once. We're in a different movement than you. And your intonation is bad. 
Jerry, I love your smile. <laughs> and you know, and that's you can communicate that way and to, awesome. to keep a group together, I think. Because I've worked with some people that are just prickly personalities and they're not wrong. Yeah. But no one wants to be told they're, you know, sharp or flat in a, in a but if way. You, if you can get to a working relationship where you can you can be direct, but everybody knows that their playing is respected, I think that's the most efficient. So I've been in groups where, you know, we were talking about this a little bit last time. It's like, okay, well, um, I think maybe possibly um, you could be a little louder there maybe, or maybe you're too loud there. Yeah. We have to just be like too like kind of tiptoeing around oh, things. That's, that's and that's too. frustrating too. If you can say, Hey, I think you should bring that out a little bit. You know, right. if the person knows that you respect them as a player, they're not going to be offended by that. But if they yeah. think, that you don't really respect their playing, that could be offensive. You almost can't say anything, so right? The, the longer so, you're with the group, the blunter, the more blunt you I think can so. be. I think yeah. so, yeah. Once you build that trust. Yeah. And they, and they know you like the way they can hold the saxophone correctly, and you, yeah. they know and you like their smile. And their next is always good, and their right. smile's good. Then you can tear them apart. And <laughs> <laughs> well, and you have to be able to take it too, right? Yeah. Right? Yeah, I mean, if, if you're the person who's like, oh, no, I'm not doing that, and 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 you're trying to dish it out, but you can't take it. That's no good. Either. I would have the problem where I would uh, at different times to be working with a group that I, it was, you know, something like a group at the moment where you had to work with people. It wasn't going to be long-term and just my nature of wanting to make people happy. Like, well, it needs to be this way. Well, it needs to be like, oh, okay, right. okay. And then halfway through the rehearsal, like, oh no, they're wrong and they're terrible, but I would oh, just no. want to keep the peace. So like, oh, yeah. you're right. You're right. Um, uh, but if you'd, you know, stuck with them longer, maybe, Maybe yeah, it would have worked out. But I wouldn't. But I get on okay. time for that. Well, that's okay. That's okay. Yeah. So <laughs> another advice, I, I got some good advice. Um, so like you say, if someone's in a small town and they're just dying to have a quartet or a group or a jazz combo, um, a piece of advice that I got that was helpful to me is don't get too hung up on what kind of ensemble. Um, and, the, and it comes to the yeah. advice of dance with those who sign your dance card. Meaning instead of wishing you were dancing with Jenny, if she doesn't sign your dance card, dance with those that really want to work with you. And maybe that means it's not a saxophone quartet. Right. I really had um, I really had the idea of wanting to play in a quartet at one point in my life. The players weren't around for it. Right. And I kept trying to plug in the wrong people, and it was frustrating to me. And and then I realized, you know what, but there's this percussionist over here that we really get along with. Why don't I just focus my energy on a percussion duo? Outstanding. Or, yeah, yeah, absolutely. It, Look for people who's playing you like and you want to play with them and f make the music if it doesn't yeah. exist. Oh my gosh, we've done that so many times. I had a flutist who was a great friend in Buffalo and we spent so much time and energy trying to get music that we could play together because we just, we liked each other's playing and we liked each other's people. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Put, yeah, find, just find people. You can make the music, you can arrange something and then eventually you can get composers to write for you. So, oh yeah. And we'll, we'll talk Absolutely. about it in the future about yeah. working with composers. You obviously have a lot of experience on that. Oh yeah. We can actually get Mark on here. Oh, we'll that'd be fun. We'll pop an extra microphone and talk about like what he looks for in commissions and how to work with composers and how to get what you want okay. um, and how to negotiate the price so they, they write it at a loss. Uh, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> he probably won't tell us that, but no. we can ask him. So yeah, so find the ensemble that you want to work with and will work with you and is realistic and then arrange, compose. Yeah, and, and you know, like we said last time, if you want to be motivated to get together and practice, get some gigs. Yeah. It doesn't matter what it is, but, you know, get the group together first. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So Red Clay, your quartet's been together for how long? Yeah, 15 and a half years Holy now. Holy cow. I know. What's the secret to that? Retreats? Cabin retreats? Um, well... I think we really don't, like... Don't play. say mutual respect. No, we Come really on. we really like playing together because... I don't know. It's fun to play together. Court, yeah. Saxophone quartet is like one of the funnest things for me. I, I, I mean, I've been in so many quartets and you know, like my whole life I've been in a quartet. I can't 
since high school. I've always been in in some saxophone quartet, and I just love playing in saxophone quartet. Yeah, I like playing in jazz quartets because in that group, I'm the best saxophonist. That's nice. And I don't even have to be that good because the drummer's not as good as saxophone, (laughs) the bass player. And so that really protects my ego. And I think that's... No, I really do enjoy that. Like, I've enjoyed working with jazz quartets more recently. But um, yeah, but it's the same thing. I really wanted a piano for a project. But Mm. I'm, you know, but once again, who's signing my dance card? Well, I'm friends with some really outstanding guitarists. Oh, yeah. So I do that instead. So instead of like having this fixation of I want this kind of ensemble... I think some flexibility. Yeah, in, that's good advice. Like especially, especially when you move to a small town or something like that, you may not find. Oh yeah. You know, you may not. Well, and you know, you could always drive an hour someplace and rehearse on the weekends or something. So you know. Have you done that with with groups to keep them together? Have like the um, and it's becoming more common that. Yeah, some... I mean, we we were together with the Vienna Saxophone Quartet in Vienna for three years, and then um, Mark and I both moved to Chicago to go to grad school, and so then we had a commute. Back and forth to Vienna oh, to have gigs and and uh, you know and do, this is do Vienna, things together. Vienna, New Jersey. Yeah, right. Yeah. Vienna, yeah, the, the Vienna and Austria. <laughs> it's a pretty long commute, but you know we had already <clears throat> built up a huge repertoire during those three years that we practiced almost every single day together because we lived you know yeah. blocks from each other there, and you know that worked out. So once you have a group, you know you have a repertoire and you have a way of playing together and rehearsing together, you can do the long distance. Thing. It's not as fun as getting together yeah. regularly. So Red Clay gets together every week for about two hours for a rehearsal. We've we found a time during the day when we can all, you know, clear our schedules and yeah. get together. And it's not a ton of time, but if you get together every week like that, you can get a lot done. And we've got a pretty big repertoire now we can pull from. So, but we're still always learning new pieces. And I don't know. It's it's still fun playing together. I guess that's why we stick together. And everybody stayed in the same town. Well, and you have a following. <laughs> you have fans. We that- have some fans. That will yeah. come and follow you guys around. And yeah, I'm, when we play a concert, some people come. It's great. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> what a concept. I know, Well, right? speaking of that, say, let's um, advice for like a recent college graduate or maybe some really good high school players that they got a quartet together, they've got a trio together or some interesting ensemble, and they want to start performing out, but getting some experience at building their resumes. How do you go about, you do a lot of the booking for your group, don't you? Fair amount, yeah. How would you recommend they get their feet wet to start? Well, because once you leave school, that recital space goes yeah, away and it gets a little scary. It can. I mean, you can call up and do an alumni recital, I guess. But, you know, you really ought to just get out into the world and play. Well, yeah. if, if you have any connections at a church, yeah. you can always ask, can, you know, can we play the prelude? Can we play the postlude or off right. toy or something like that? Um, call, go stop in maybe with some kind of a demo or email. Nobody wants to talk to anybody anymore these days, but I mean, you could actually go to a retirement community and figure out who's doing the bookings for well, events for them. An they have events oh, manager yeah. generally that you is know, eager. Yeah. How do you find out which ones have a piano and which ones do these events? Boy, I don't know. Just call them up and ask. Yeah. Hey, you know, do you have musicians come in and play for the residents? And, you know, yeah. I have a saxophone quartet. We'd love to come in. And those are usually freebies. Maybe you'd get 100 bucks or something like that. But they're right. usually freebies. But if you're starting out, you have to be willing to play some freebies. I mean, we still do freebies. Oh, yeah. Yeah. No, I th- I'm, my, my philosophy is day jobs are underrated. I like to have a job <laughs> that pays the bills, so then I play what I want. Well, and I don't yeah. have to... because. You know, wedding receptions pay great. Oh, yeah. I don't want to spend my time doing that. Yeah. I don't want to watch people dancing to Brick House while I play background <laughs> lines and someone else is enjoying the chocolate fountain. Yeah. If I'm at a wedding, I want to 
Yeah, I did a lot of wedding big band gigs, and yeah, by the fourth set, you just like your yeah. back is killing you, and I have people are crashing yeah. into your saxophone on the stand because they're all drunk. <laughs> I, I, you know, I I have friends, and I do have some students in my career development class. All they want to do is gig, and I respect that. Right. But yeah, I I think we can create. Um, I, there's nothing wrong with playing for free. No, and especially if you if you're building your repertoire and trying to see what works, it's a great way to find out. Okay, well that piece kind of bombs when we yeah. play it in front of <laughs> real people. Who would have thunk it? It seems yeah. like such a great piece, and there might be another piece that that you weren't sure about that people are very enthusiastic about. So have it's you, a good reality yeah. check on our training because we get trained to listen to pretty esoteric stuff, yes. which is fine, and some of that actually works out in the real world. Go right. figure. But if you're playing in front of real people. You're learning all the time, and so that's that's a learning experience. You don't get paid for it. You know, it's valuable. Right. Yeah. Interesting. I think it, we talk about playing esoteric academic music and connecting, and that can be hard to connect. So, like, you're working on this piece like that, it's hard to bring it out of the real world. The best example I ever saw of, of success. Well, the red clay does great success with that. I think so. I think yeah. I think we try really hard to to match the audiences. Ability yeah. to be stretched. <laughs> well, and what I like about it is I've I've seen you guys perform uh, several times. Yeah. Um, is that you help the audience? You meet the audience halfway. I've seen you speak to the audience about some of these pieces and, and members of your quartet. A great example I saw that was um, the saxophonist Eugene Rousseau. Oh yeah, and he was giving a recital, and it was really well advertised. And I saw it on the program, and it was mostly non musicians. It was retirees and just. Oh, yeah music enthusiasts and they saw saxophone and they neat and they showed up and I saw in the program the last piece he was playing was um, Yindrickfeld Sonata oh and that is not a piece of music that I I honestly don't really care for it but it's yeah. very esoteric for the average listener yeah a lot of extended techniques it's very dense and I thought this is not going to go well and I was surprised that maybe he didn't maybe he thought he was just playing for academics or other saxophonists but he played a lot of like Gershwin, beautiful transcriptions, and he had yeah. the audience eating out of the bottom of, of his hand. And before he got to the field, he paused, took his saxophone up to the next strap, and said, imagine if you will, between the white and the black keys on the piano, there's a gray key. <laughs> these are quarter tones. And I could see the whole room just lean in. And, yeah. and these non-musicians, were they bought it hook, line, and sinker. Yeah. And then he explained the the tapping, the key tapping. He explained multiphonics. And he met them halfway, and it really connected. And I was waiting in line to, um, to you know, the greeting line afterwards, and I could hear some of these retirees talking like, that was just fascinating. That was my favorite piece. And I think it was the way he presented that. It was a That's lesson brilliant. that I really took away from. Yeah, and first he earned their trust. He showed yeah. that he could play beautifully, and yes. he could play beautiful music that they would understand and love. And then he explained a piece that he was going to yeah. play, that he knew was going to be a stretch for them. That's brilliant. And what I've, exactly. I say that because I've yeah. seen you do very the yeah. exact same thing with the red clay. I've seen you, you talk to, about these pieces. Yeah. Meet the audience halfway. So well, I think, and yeah. respectfully, and if you're going to do something that's foreign to their experience, well, you can do them the favor of letting them know, right? <laughs> Which is good. But I have we both seen performers that this is high art. You better like it, or you're a rube. You know, that yeah. attitude of this is great art because it, yeah. the composer is very important. Now, listen. I'm betting that when, when Rousseau played that piece, he also played it with real love because he chose to play it because he honestly loved the piece. Right. And I think that that honesty comes across to an audience, I think so. too. Yeah, if yeah. you really honestly love some piece that you know is just kind of weird, but you love it, you, you're going to sell that it. That enthusiasm. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Yeah. Wow, so, I, yeah. so I think when kids go out into the retirement homes, it's not to say that you can't bring some of this with it, but make sure you explain it. 
Oh yeah, if you yeah. explain, go play a Ria Nota improvisation, but you know, show them some of the things and explain yeah. to them what's going on. Maybe give them a narrative. I don't always like to think about music in terms of some story or picture or something right. like that, but a lot of people do. And it's helpful, right? Yeah. If you say, oh, if you can just imagine you're out in the woods and this is the sound of the birds or something like that, if that helps them, why not? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I've seen people do that with jazz as well. You know, the place oh, sure. a bit more yeah. esoteric stuff. But give a little explanation. Tell a little yeah. bit about the person that wrote it. Yeah. You, know, you don't need like a 30-minute dissertation on harm melodics before playing Ornette Coleman. Um, <laughs> or bring strong coffee if yeah. you do. But <laughs> or yeah. So no matter what you're playing, I think we can go out, we can the students could go out into the world and play that if they Oh, yeah. yeah if yeah. you honestly love it and, and play it musically and sell it, oh, yeah. Think about the form. Yeah. yeah. You can do it. And that's great advice from The Career Corner. The Working Pro? The Working Pro? I Boba don't know. Fett with a saxophone. We'll come up with a name. Yeah, and we'll if you have a strong opinion <laughs> on the name for the segment, make sure you email us. Now, we did call um, last time a call for questions. And I got and we got some. We got some questions Woo-hoo. in. So let's start with the, the easy, not easy one, but... Neither of these are easy. These okay. are fantastic questions. So I got a question oh um, that this will... It's a beginner student, but I think this will also apply to our beginner teachers. Because mm. we have some people just graduating co- college, and this is one of the most common questions they ask me while I have a young student, and this is happening. Yeah. So um, by U.S., he's from Bali, Indonesia. He asked if I've ever been. I said no. He said it's like Hawaii, but a lot hotter. Okay. Um, awesome. He asks, why do I constantly squeak when I'm tonguing? Um, he's a new student, but yeah. a lot of us experience this with our new students. Yeah. So, Sue, in your experience... And some of the old students. Yeah. What's the fix? Should he Whoa. sell the Whoa. instrument and buy a guitar? No. Just, no. Oh, no. no. Okay. Don't give up by you. Well, first of all, we don't know what the mouthpiece is. Yeah. We don't know what the reed is. Let's Can just, we just bring him in next week and next will, time and work on it? We will do a GoFundMe for Bayou's airfare. Yeah. We'll fly him. Oh, no, I really want to. He seems like super nice. And then we don't know, like... We, Where he's tonguing on his tongue, or if he's bunching up and biting into his reed with yeah. his chin. Well, let's let's get some, as we shouldn't do, but let's <laughs> put some assumptions down. Let's assume okay. he's got a fine working mouthpiece okay. and a reed. What are some of the common reasons you see for squeaking when articulation? Well, the most common one I find is just um, if they're pinching, so pushing up too with too much pressure on the bottom lip. Right. Okay. So if you think about when you say the word ooh or the sound ooh, ooh, if you do that, you'll see that you can't bunch up your your chin and right. say ooh, try it. Ooh. Can't really do it. Ooh, ooh. girl, you got good tone. Ooh. ooh. Yeah, I got gotcha. you. So if he practices going ooh and then and then uh that might be it if he's if he's pinching up there. And, and then also, young students when they do tongue, they tend to tighten up. And, yeah, you know. and then there's different ways that tonguing is taught. Remember all the beginning books that said to take the tip of your tongue and tongue down on the reed? Oh. And those things, and it's like... That didn't work. No, but that's how like a lot of the beginning books said to do it, so it's just like one in one B flat that all the oh. books say to do you know, right? So that they gotta make sure that they're tonguing on the reed, kind of like if you say the word two, 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 or do, 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 yeah. you feel where the soft palate and your tongue connect. Yeah. So the tongue has to connect with the reed in about that same place on the tongue. Right. I don't know if that's helpful. It what do is. you think, Wally? Well, yeah, one of the things, I, I love teaching young students. I do too. They, I get them mentally, and we can talk about Pokemon <laughs> and Minecraft, and I just get them. Minecraft is awesome. Uh, what I would recommend, especially for teachers teaching young students or squeaking, is remove variables first. 
So make sure the reed and the mouthpiece are sealing, just like you said. Yeah, you make, make sure, sure that. they're working. And yeah. then see, can we breath articulate without squeaking? Mm. And just can you start the note with squeaking? And if you're from there, then your jaw tension most likely or an equipment issue. And then past that, experimenting with, with tongue placement, Yeah, I think. And for me, I've found it's so hard because we can't see inside their mouths. Yeah. I know some people that, you know, have gone the route of the endoscopic camera where no. they stick it down their nose and that, yeah, that's a no go for me. No. Um, but just TMI. experiment with less tongue on the reed and just how little you can do it to back it off to the point where you don't even articulate and then move it back a little bit. But yeah. So great. what I'll, I'll reach out to Bayou and see if he can send me a video of what he's oh, doing. That would be awesome. And then we can get him some more because I don't think we're going to be able to afford airfare. Mm, probably not. And he could be a grown man. I don't know. Well, it could be. Yeah, just, could it, was a, it was a message. Yeah. So I'm not going <laughs> to, you know, I, I'm picturing this very nice young, young person that needs our help, but yeah. Um, maybe this is a rich business person. Maybe he can afford to fly us out there. That'd be great. Or we sabbatical. I'll, I'll figure yeah. this out. Let's find out yeah. the best time of year to go to Indonesia. Uh, yeah, when it's not so hot. Right. So second question um, is from an undergraduate student named Michael Kay. He's from a large state university. And it says, when you have a goal wanting to achieve something that may not, that might seem near impossible, how do you keep yourself motivated while dealing with your subconscious telling <laughs> you that there's no way you're going to achieve this goal <laughs> or it's too unrealistic? And he gives the example of this music festival he wants to attend um, but deep down, he doesn't think he's going to get invited or make the audition. And that's kind of a great question. This is a great question, right? Yeah. And what I know you... this, I, I, I know of this person, yeah. a, a, an acquaintance, a, a very fine player. Yeah. Um, so what do you think? So they're applying for, they want to apply for a summer music festival. And it's a really great festival. Are we allowed to say the name of it? Sure. It's in North Carolina. It's called Brevard. It's a wonderful yeah. summer music festival. And Mountains. so, you know, and he even says, oh, I think I would grow tremendously if I got yeah, into and that. they really want this opportunity. Yeah. So I'm trying to figure out why, so what's holding them back? So that little voice or that little devil on your shoulder that says, you're not going to be able to do this. And we all have that a little bit, right? right. The self-doubt gets the best of all of us. But listen, what's he, got to, what's he got to lose, really? If you think worst case scenario, so what's the worst case scenario is that he applies and he doesn't get accepted. Yeah. That's the worst case scenario. It's no big deal. It's really no big deal. You, and what are all the positives? Yeah. He's going to get better from practicing for it. Yep. He might get in well, and get good, to go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So I think, so there's lots of reasons to do this audition. If he can just get himself away from thinking, oh, but what if I don't get in? I'm going to feel so bad. Because that's true. If you don't yeah. get in, you're going to get that letter that says, sorry, not this time. You know, and that's going to hurt your feelings. We've all gotten them. We have stacks of sorry hired somebody else or sorry <laughs> you know and yeah and you, but yeah he's got so much to gain from doing this and it's like doing competitions right wally right like the chances are you're not going to win right because if there's 100 people in a competition 99 of them are not going to win right and you're probably going to be one of those 99 what i know so i know oh. i'm sorry yeah 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 it was, but, it felt, but, it felt oh my really gosh. good to age out of competition. Uh, I know, right? I'm with yeah. you there. But my students who have done competitions, they get so much better just by right. trying to get their playing good enough to do the competition yeah. and learning new repertoire. So, boy, what do you think? What well, do you I think, think about the... Because I, I totally get the subconscious yeah. kind of nagging. And, I'm really interested yeah. in that, that belief system. Yeah. Um, and I think it's a cheesy quote. I think it's Henry Ford that if you believe you can or you believe you can't, either way, you're right. 
Um, yeah. Which is true until you get other people involved. Right. And the example exactly. I already I always <laughs> use with goal setting with my students is make your goals within your locus of control. So you yeah. can't control whether they accept you, yeah. but you can control how hard you work and how good of an application. Yeah. So the example I use is if you were applying, say you wanted to be principal clarinetist of the Genovian Symphony. Um, there's big problems. Number one, they may not have an opening. Right. Number two, they could have a you know player that's young and healthy, no intention of retire. Right. Uh, three, they may not like you, your playing, or your face, or any of the above. Right. And you can't control that, but you can control your work schedule, your planning, your your practice. And the other big problem is Genovia is a fictional con- country from <laughs> The Princess Diaries, right. starring Anne Hathaway. So right. really, pick better goals. But I think it's that you can't. The goal, you want to apply for that, but the goal is not getting in or not. It's right. that becoming the kind of player that has the best shot at getting in there. Exactly. And making that goal, putting the goal within your locus of control. And then in, in changing your beliefs, you know, don't play the, the the highlight reel of your failures every time you go into the practice room. <laughs> right. You know, and this is incredibly cheesy, but make a list of some of the great things that you have done to realize like, oh yeah, I'm not a big ball of suck. That's I've a good some, idea. I've done yeah. some good things. Yeah. And and you know, it's nothing's more annoying than when someone's, oh, just believe in yourself. Like that doesn't usually cut it. Yeah, that yeah. that in three fifty gets you a medium coffee at yeah, Starbucks. Exactly, but yeah, for absolutely focusing on, yeah, just focusing on what you can do. So you yeah. can look at the application and figure out what's got to be done when, and make yourself a schedule for yeah. learning the music and making the recording and getting the paperwork done and just. Just do it. Yeah, doing all the smart things. Because yeah. otherwise it's, and I will, okay, when you mentioned about not applying for things and you're going to get rejected, I'm really guilty. I got a rejection many years ago that hurt bad. I yeah. really thought I was going to get something that I wanted and yeah. it didn't happen. And then I got too scared to try for things. Of course, yeah. And I, and so I will tell Michael, um, the regret is way more painful than the rejection. The regret of not even trying. Yeah. So there's a lot of things I never even put my hat in the ring for because I was too scared of rejection. Right. Um, and I regret that way more than any of the rejection letters I've gotten in my life. That and makes sense, yeah. Other thing is find someone like uh, Dr. Susan Fancher or a mentor. You know, I'm, I'm, this person has a college teacher. But, yeah. you know, find a mentor that they don't have to believe you're the greatest in the world, but work with a mentor. Sure. That the focus is on growth, not that object that's outside your locus of control. Yeah. Yeah. You can't really control that. Yeah. That and bribe money. (laughs) I've yet to meet a committee that couldn't be greased with a little bit of cash. About that, but that's an idea. Yeah. We'll, we'll have another GoFundMe for Michael's. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Oh my gosh. This can be a lot of work. Michael, (laughs) I hope that's helpful. And if not, um, sorry, but I, you got this. Well, and you got this, but there also are a lot of other festivals. So oh, yeah. if you do all that work to apply to one, then look at for some other ones and, you know, maybe apply to some other ones with the same material as long as yeah. you've got it worked up. There, there's more fish in the sea. And yeah. play those pieces on a recital. Then you haven't wasted the quote unquote wasted the work on just yes. doing an application. That's really great advice. So there. And that's why I have you as a co-host. Yay. And the cash bribes. No, <laughs> so if you have any, any questions, feel free to uh, reach out to us. These um, questions were great. Yeah, more thank questions. you very much. Absolutely. Send us more questions. And I promised swag for those that whose questions we do select. I haven't gotten the swag in yet. You're not even aware of this amazing swag we have coming in. What are we? What are we getting in, Wally? Well, I'll show you later. Depending, okay. on we have to price it out. You know. Okay. And, and it's still waiting to hear back from a couple sponsors. Uh, but you will be getting something cool for asking the questions. So if you have a question for Dr. Fancher or myself, do send your questions to Wally at GateCitySax.com 
or just follow us on social media and we will get to your questions. And if we do read your question, you win something cool. Yeah. <laughs> of modest monetary value. Yeah. <laughs> Sue? Wally. Great chatting with you. This we'll was see- fun as yeah. always. We'll see you in a couple weeks. You bet. All right. Take care. <laughs>